Today, I'm so excited that we get to welcome Pastor Ed Rosella to minister to us again by preaching God's word to us. Pastor Ed is a missionary in Romania, and he often comes and blesses our church by speaking to us. So at this time, I want to welcome you, Pastor Ed. Thank you, Pastor Nathan. Many years ago, many years ago, I used to work for AT&T. And uh, many years ago, this is when AT&T dominated the telecommunications industry. Uh, everything went through the AT&T network. I heard a statistic at that time that there was one day when most of the telephone calls came across the AT&T network. By far, this, this day dominated. Guess what day that was? Mother's Day. They saw the most calls. It lit up. There, there was a, uh, do you remember? Uh, okay, this, this will say some of your ages. There was another day that uh, saw, saw the most collect calls. Do you know what a collect call is? Some of you do, some of you don't. A collect call used to be long distance was, uh, a, a, they charge for a long distance telephone call. Now everything is, you know, one price. But they used to charge for a long distance and sometimes people didn't want to pay it so they would make a collect call and the operator would tell the person on the other end, would you receive a collect call? That means if you said yes, you have to pay for it. So guess what they saw the most collect calls across the AT&T network? Father's Day. <laughs> John chapter 19. We're going to start at verse 16. So then he delivered him to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on the other side of Jesus and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross and it was written, Jesus of Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore the inscription, this inscription many of the Jews read for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Jesus is, before this, Jesus is, is beaten uh, horribly, um, mocked, crown of thorns on his head. They prepare, they sentence him to death, prepare him for crucifixion. And, and now they hang him between two thieves. They even make him bear his own cross. The weight of that was crushing on his muscles, on his body. He's half dead before he even gets to the cross. He's hung between two criminals and he's mocked. That he, he is mocked as king of the Jews. 
in a mocking sign above his head. Verse 23, the soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took the outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. And they said, therefore, to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for clothing they cast lots. They divided his clothes. He's not even dead yet. Think of the humiliation. Imagine you're not dead. You're watching people divide up your clothes right in front of you. I'll take that tie. I'll take that belt. The humiliation that he experienced at that moment, they gambled for his clothes right in front of him. I'm setting the scene for something I want to talk about today, uh, just to show you the condition Jesus was in at the moment. Verse 25, therefore the soldiers did these things, but there were standing by the cross of Jesus, who does it say first? His mother. A lot of other people had deserted him at that point, but John makes a point to say Mary his mother was there. We, we sense from scriptures the close relationship that Jesus had with his mother. And there she is at his final moments. And his mother's sister, Jesus' aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26, Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is the actual author of this book, is John. So she sees Mary, he, he sees, he looks down from the cross. He, he's approaching death at the moment. His body is failing him, is, it's starting to shut down. But he looks down from the cross and he sees his mother, his earthly mother, and then he sees his best friend. One of the last final acts of Jesus on this earth is going to take place at this moment. And he looks down at his mother, and he said to his mother, verse 26, Woman, behold your son. Speaking about John. We, we often speak about the pain that Jesus endured on the cross for us. I think this is a different type of pain. At this point, we can presume that his father, his earthly father, Joseph, had died, passed on. There's no other mention of him. And, and, and Jesus, as the oldest son, he had the responsibility to care for his mother. Now, he's put in a position where his mother is growing older and he can no longer care for her. I think that pain weighed heavily upon him. There's two very powerful forces in this world. One is it's a mother's, it, it was Kent and Pastor Nathan, you, you spoke about it. The mother's love for a child, it's a powerful force. It, it could move mountains. There's another powerful force. When a mother is growing older and a mother is becoming more frail and in need, it's the love of a child and the concern of a child towards his or her mother. That's another powerful force. It, it starts to happen when you get older and you see your mom not as strong as she once was. In this case, we are witnessing the power of a son's love, Jesus, 
for his mother and his concern. Who will take care of her? Here he is, he's, he's dying. But he wants to set a plan in place to honor his mother, to care for his mother. And he looks at his best friend, John. And he says, John, behold your mother. Mary, mom, behold your son. He didn't even ask John, did he? John, would you please take care of my mom when I'm not here any longer? He didn't ask John. He had that relationship with John that he didn't have to ask. He knew John would do it. Mary, at that point, must have been like a mother to John. As some of you mothers, you have your own children, but you're also like mothers to others. And John had that love for Mary. He didn't have to ask. Jesus isn't even offering uh, a fund or money to pay for this. So, you know, it's going to cost John some money, isn't it? To care for Mary for the rest of her life. He's not, it's not about that. It wasn't about that at all. He didn't have to ask. And it, it says in verse 27, he said to the disciple, Behold your mother, and look what John did. And from that hour... John wasted no time. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. John didn't even pray about it. Wait, Jesus, I'm going to go home and pray about this. Do you know you don't have to pray about everything? We don't. Sometimes you just need to respond. You know the right thing to do. You respond. You let God work out the details. John, from that hour, he took Mary into his own, house, own home and cared for her. What's interesting here is Jesus is the king of kings. He's God in human flesh. He, he, he entrusted the care of his earthly mother into the hands of a human being. He could have sent ravens to care for her. He could have sent ShopRite bags or Aldi bags and dropped them off at her door, you know, with, with birds. Or uh, he could have sent angels. I mean, there must have been angels saying, I'll, you know, I'll do the job. But God works through humans to care for other humans. That's how he does it. And he is our example here. He entrusted Mary into the care of his best friend. The Bible also says that Jesus has had other siblings. Now, I have no idea why Mary went to live with John and not the other siblings. Don't ask me, I don't know. But that's the way it was. The last act, Jesus said after this, if you just read a few verses down, verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled said, I am thirsty. And a jar, a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine upon the branch of hyssop and brought it to his lips, his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It wasn't long after he cared for his mom and put that plan in place that he died. So one of the last acts of Jesus upon this earth was to honor his mother and to care for his mother. A long time ago when I became a Christian, um, I worked, uh, 
I, I went to school down in uh, South Jersey. I, at that point, um, I became a Christian while I was in college. And I met some people, and they, they took me to a place called the Atlantic City Rescue Mission, was a homeless shelter. And they said, would you like to come volunteer and see what we do here? I said, oh, I'd, I'd like to. And I was amazed at the place, uh, people with homeless problems and drug problems, alcohol problems, mental health problems, but they cared for people. They, and I was just amazed as a new Christian to see what they did for people. Well, my boss was, I was just a volunteer, but the, the director there was an amazing man. And one day he invited me over his house. Uh, just for lunch or so and and I went there and he didn't tell me this but I walk in and there was a bed in his living room and his mother was laying in the bed and she was all curled up in a frail position and that shocked me because I wasn't used to I never saw something like that before uh, especially in a living room she was frail she was old she couldn't walk anymore she was barely awake she couldn't go to the toilet. And so what they did is they put a bedpan underneath her to catch her pee, to catch her poop. They changed her, they cleaned her. The children were involved. The, he was involved, his wife was involved. They took care of her right in the living room. She was active, a part of their life in that living room. And as I watched that, I thought, wow, this is, he, he, he never said anything to me. I never said anything to him. I just watched and I said, as a new Christian, I looked at that and I said, this is such an example to me of Christianity, of a son honoring his mother, of a son caring for his mother. I never forgot that. It stayed with me for, for till today. I'm telling you the story. It stays with me. That example, it was powerful. Perhaps you bought your mom flowers, a card. He couldn't give his mother a, a Mother's Day card at that moment because his mother couldn't read it. it. Flowers you can always do. Listen, you can always give flowers. But there came a time for him and his mother that she couldn't read that card anymore. She had greater needs, and they provided it. We live in a, in a country that probably, uh, if not the best, one of the best medical industries in the world. We produce fantastic medicines. People come from all over the world here for surgeries and, and medicine and treatments. Uh, our country can keep people alive. We have the drugs, we have the surgeries, we have the institutions that keep people alive. Medicines can keep people alive, but medicines can never give someone the will to live. How do you give someone the desire to live? Well, that doesn't happen through medicine. That happens through the love of a family. That happens through a person being in a familiar environment, not a strange environment. It happens through the sound of a the footsteps of a child running. The desire to live comes from a baby sitting on a, 
a mother or grandmother's lap. The desire to live comes from the taste of a favorite food, something familiar. The desire to live comes from the touch of a loved one. The desire to live comes when that person in the frail condition understands that she, the mother in this case, is still valuable to her family. And that's what I watched with my friend. That gave his mother joy in her frail condition. I, I, uh, as Pastor Nathan said, I, I spent a lot of time in the country of Romania. I've traveled to uh, other countries. I see countries that have a far inferior medical system than ours. But what's interesting is many times I see people recover a lot better in those countries than I do in our own. Why? Because here we rely so much on medicine, but a lot less on family in the restoration and rehabilitation of a person. I see countries that don't have that option, but yet family is involved, and family gives that person the desire to fight, to live, to survive, the desire to thrive. And I see them do much better there, and something is missing here. So all of this has been in my mind for, however, 30 years, I've been a Christian or so, no, I'm not gonna do the calculation, it's around that much. Uh, my friend's example has always been in the back of my mind of what he did for his mom. And then four weeks ago, I get a call that my mom lives in Old Bridge, I live here in Union Beach, my, uh, she stays with my brother, and the physical therapist was visiting my mom in the home and she said, something's not right with your mom. I said, I'll be right over. I'll make a long story short, my mom had a stroke. She's 96 years old, she's lived a long life, she had a stroke. So we took her to the hospital. Uh, it was a major stroke, but it didn't affect her motor skills, it, but it did affect her mind. She's confused, she's fearful, she's more like a child. Now, now it, my mom for 96 year was, years was always sharp sharp as a tack, as they say. She, she has a memory that's this amazing. In one day, it was all gone, four weeks ago. She's a different person now. Now, when, four weeks ago, we were in the hospital and um, she was just laying there, 20 some hours a day, she's sleeping. Uh, they're giving her medicines. They couldn't even give her food. They're talking about putting a feeding tube down her. I said, no, you're not doing that to my mother. And I, I, kept, I kept telling him right from the beginning, because uh, I know the system. I've gone through this system with my mother for 15 years, with my father who lived in his 90s. I know the hospital system. I know how they go into rehabs. I know how the rehab is a bridge to a nursing home. I know it. I've been through this so many times. So I, I told them right from the beginning, my mom is not going to rehab. She's coming home. I let them know that. But then three days she was in the hospital and uh, 
literally, she's laying like this, very, she's out of it. They have her pumped up on so much meds, they couldn't even give her applesauce, they couldn't give her chocolate pudding even, she wasn't eating. Uh, and, and then the doctor walks in, he says, medically, we've stabilized her, are you ready to take her home? Now I look down at my mother, and she's like this. That was the moment of my testing, because I've been telling them the whole time, she's not going to a rehab, she's not gonna go into a nursing home, she's coming home, she's coming to my house. But to be honest with you, at that moment, I felt this slight hesitancy, uh-oh. I, I said to him, okay, let's do it. So we put her in a wheelchair, she's hung over. I get her in the car, I thought, God, I don't know how this is gonna work. I got her home, got her to, to my house. For the first two days, she didn't wanna, she just wanted to sleep. They called me from the hospital, they said, how's it going? I said, she's sleeping 20 hours a day. She didn't want, she didn't want to eat. She didn't even want to drink water. Now, on the second day, not wanting to drink water, that was getting scary to me. Right? I don't know how long you could live without drinking water, but that was starting to get scary. She's refusing water. So it just took a lot of patience. Mom, here, have a sip. Mom, have a sip. Mom, have a sip. After four weeks, I can report to you that she's now holding a cup of tea and drinking her tea. <laughs> mm. I just fed her a half a pancake before I came here. <laughs> She's eating. So how, how did we, how did, you know, my, my, I brought her to my house because my, my children are there. There's activity it, to stimulate her, something familiar, family. And it worked. How did we keep her alive? Chocolate. We kept her alive through chocolate. <laughs> she wouldn't eat anything but chocolate. <laughs> Okay, I got so much chocolate sitting by her where she sits. I got Reese's, I got Kit Kats, I got mints, I got so. Listen, I walk around the stores and I, I pick 20 things with the hope she'll eat one of them. Most she doesn't want, but chocolate, gosh, it kept her alive. They called me from the hospital. They, they gave me six bottles of medicine, right? Six big things, six, I bought it, $500, six things of medicine. They said, how's she doing with the medicine? I can't give her, I thought, I can't give her one. I can't, she can't even drink water. How are we gonna give her medicine? A few people said to me, uh, when they hear, they say, oh, it's really sad what happened to your mom. Because they knew her, she was sharp. And, you know, I started to think about that. The more people started to say to me, that's sad, no, I started to think about that, and I think, well, wait, no, 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 no. I, they're, they're mean, they try to mean well with their words, but I, I, I thought, you know, it's, it's not sad. The word sad has some type of finality to it. No, this isn't final. It's different. She's changed, and now we have a new reality. But we will cherish her, we will honor her, in this new reality, now it's time for us to return to her what she's given to us. And like I said in, in the title, um, there's a time when your mother will need more than flowers. There's a time when 
you will have the privilege and the honor to return to your mother when she's in a frail condition what she's given to you that's what jesus taught us that's what he taught us with that final act on the cross